everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up BFW's weekly show where we hit on all of the latest and greatest news, the big events of the week. At Bayern Munich, there is never any downtime, never any boredom, and you know that every Friday when this podcast drops, we will always have something to talk about. But this is a special one, and no, I'm not referencing the fact that we won an award earlier in the week. We already had a whole show dedicated to that, so I'll spare you guys the grief of hearing about that again. Uh, (laughs) We did have fun uh, recording that show, though. It was a fun little walk through history, so... Uh, If you get a chance, do check that show out. But I I do want to say that this is the day, Friday, of course, that Bayern Munich is opening up its Bundesliga season against Eintracht Frankfurt. So this is exciting. I mean, this is what we've all been waiting for. All of the transfer rumors, all of the player movement, all of the coaching uh, tactics being dissected, not just at BFW, but everywhere else. All the pundits chiming in, all of the players competing for spots. It all starts now. All of the output from that starts now. So this is, to me, one of the more exciting days of the year. And sure, it's only game one. The season's a marathon, not a sprint. But this is going to be fun. There are a lot of things to look forward to in this season. And and that will tie into what we're going to talk about today. And as, as always, we will follow the format of the things that we learned this week. And the first thing that I learned this week is that there is a Dutch player named Jiz Hornkamp who has captured the attention of the internet. I think Bayern Munich should sign him right away. Ah, forget it. I'm not going to make that one of the things I learned this week. Although hearing about Jiz Hornkamp has, has made my week, no doubt. If I had to pick a highlight from this week, seeing the tweet that contained the name Jiz Hornkamp um, it made my week. I'm going to be honest. So I uh, had a little fun with that, but let's get down to serious business now. And the first thing I learned this week when I thought about it is that the Bundesliga is going to be a lot of fun this season. And here's why everyone on the outside looking in, that's not a Bundesliga fan. That's not a Bayern fan. They're going to, to look at the league and you're going to hear farmers league. You're going to see fingers pointed and you're going to say it's a weak league. Byron just runs over everyone. Those are the kind of opinions that are out there. It seems to me that just among greater football fans, the Bundesliga is not exactly drawing in that much respect anymore. And yes, part of that has to do with Byron's dominance. Ten league titles in a row, of course, is going to have that effect on some outsiders looking in. But what people from the outside don't realize and what they don't think about is the actual quality of the games, the quality of the clubs, the quality of the players that exist in the Bundesliga. And I think that that's just so overlooked on a grand scale by fans of La Liga or fans of the Premier League. Uh, Even people here in the U.S. don't fully get the Bundesliga. And it's a shame because the league itself has been on enough big platforms to where People should start to be more into it. They should be able to look forward to watching games, not just among teams like Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund, but even looking at some of the lesser known clubs and and to be able to watch those matches and enjoy them. But we're not seeing that. And part of the reason that the Bundesliga has struggled is because when entities like Fox or ESPN make that investment, They're investing in being able to broadcast games week to week to fill their schedules, to give their subscribers a reason to stick around. 
they're not really investing in making the product better for people. They're not having extensive pregame shows every week. They're not having extensive postgame shows. They're not building in uh, special features and, and, and different type of programs to help promote the league. That is non-existent any longer. Fox did attempt to do some of it. But ESPN, for the large part, has has not done a lot with the league. And it's been very disappointing in terms of the way it's been covered. Now, am I grateful that I will get to see every Bayern match and have access to every Bundesliga match through my subscription to ESPN Plus? Absolutely. You know, know, I'm happy to be able to have that platform to be able to see the games. But if I'm looking for any extra content, I'm frankly going to BFW where I'm going out and having to search for it through German publications. I wish that ESPN would be able to promote the league better. And I, and I feel like it's not just the Bundesliga that the, that ESPN has failed with at times. I think it's promotion and coverage of La Liga has been really bad. I thought when ESPN had first acquired Serie A that I thought that they would maybe invest some time and effort into promoting that league, but they did not do much there either. So when the deal came down and we knew that the Bundesliga was going to ESPN, I did not expect much. And, and frankly, that's exactly what I'm getting. And that's not, uh, that's not a criticism on some of the, the great announcers who, who we like at BFW, but just overall in terms of how ESPN promotes and covers the league, I just don't think they do enough. But beside all of that, we're getting back to the point here and that's that the league is going to be exciting this season. And yes, Bayern Munich is favored and I will pick them to win the league once again, but you have to understand that this is a different type of Bayern Munich team. This is not a Bayern team that despite its great talent and depth, it is a shoe in to go through and just roll right through uh, its competition. And if you watch the DFL super cup last week against RB Leipzig, we saw Leipzig get, steamrolled in the first half they were overwhelmed but once they gathered themselves and once they got it together they made a couple of key substitutions they were really able to bring it right at Bayern Munich so what that told me is that there will be a handful of clubs capable of challenging Bayern Munich for the league title well I do I think that they will ultimately be able to get the job done I don't think so I think this is going to be Byron's 11th straight year winning the league, but I think it's going to be closer than a lot of people really are expecting. So let's just take a close look at a Well, not really a close look. We're not going to dive deep and spend three hours on this, but uh, I just want to take a quick look at some of the clubs that I expect to really challenge Byron. Uh, first and foremost, Borussia Dortmund. They have made the investments in their defense. They have revamped their offense after losing Erling Haaland. They have a decent core group of veterans mixing in with a strong group of young players. This could be a club that is poised to raise its level of play in a big match against Bayern Munich. Uh, Ultimately, Bayern Munich's speed is going to be an issue for all the teams, but might be a a real challenge for Borussia Dortmund. And while I do like defenders like Niklas Sula and Nico Schlotterbeck and Mats Hummels, Hummels is not exactly the most fleet of foot right now, although positionally I'm sure Uh, His awareness and his experience will give him the advantage and be able to combat some of the lack of foot speed he has nowadays. And, you know, we all know that Sula can run. Schlotterbeck is no no slouch in running. But 
Bayern has an overwhelming amount of speed and they have an overwhelming amount of creativity in their attack. And despite the lack of Robert Lewandowski, this is going to be a club that's going to be able to apply a lot of pressure and keep their opponents on their heels. And I expect that even though Borussia Dortmund will have the ability to compete with Bayern and might even be able to get uh, sneak out three points during the during the season, against Bayern, I'm not sure that they have enough in the long run to hold off the other teams that will be challenging them. And that brings me to Arve Leipzig, who we saw last week in the DFL Super Cup. I think Leipzig has a lot of talent, a lot of potential. It looks like they're getting closer to bringing back Timo Werner, who I think would be a big addition on this team. Now, granted, how Timo would fit chemistry-wise with all of the other attackers that Arve Leipzig has right now, I don't know. And that is certainly a, a potential risk in bringing him back. But I feel like Leipzig has enough talent. They have enough experience that if they can get it together and if they can start to play as a cohesive unit, and if Domenico Tedesco can maintain the positive influence that he's had since he joined the club last season, I think Arve Leipzig is a legitimate contender. I think that they can do a lot. I think, again, they're the type of team that can challenge Bayern Munich. I don't think they have quite enough this season to get the deal done, but I think they will absolutely be a club that we look at and say they are on the rise. If they can start to retain some players, they are going to be extremely dangerous. And if they can ever invest more than, say, 30 million euro in a player to go out and bring a missing piece in from the outside, they really could become dangerous. Another club that I expect to really be among those top-end teams challenging Bayern Munich is Bayer Leverkusen, which seems laughable at this minute. <laughs> I mean, uh, considering where Leverkusen is currently and the, the kind of up-and-down offseason that they've had. Uh, but Leverkusen, absolutely, despite their first-round loss in DFB Pokal, they have a good core talent base and it's only going to get better when Florian Verts comes back. And we all know that that first year after an ACL tear can be an absolute nightmare. And I'm not expecting Verts to come back and light the world on fire, but what he will do is raise the confidence level of the squad. He will be able to provide uh, at least vision and passing ability in and creativity within the attack. Now, is he going to be able to attack as, uh, as sharply as he did before the injury? Probably not. He's not going to have all of the same lateral quickness. He's not going to have that top-end speed uh, in the first 5 to 10 yards. That's not going to be there yet. But he's going to stabilize the team when he returns. And I think there is enough of a talent base there that with players like Adam Holozek and Patrick Schick, Patrick Schick they are going to be very potent offensively and they're going to have the opportunity to, to be able to, to knock not just a team like Bayern Munich off, but Borussia Dortmund and RB Leipzig. I think it's going to be uh, very interesting to see how Leverkusen starts to shake that Neverkusen moniker and, and kind of tag that they've been hit with to see if they can start to turn the corner. I feel like they've started to acquire some players that, that could help them do that. But Leverkusen is going to have to prove it. They're going to be in, in prove-it mode. And that's one of the more fascinating subplots to this season. Finally, um, you know there are plenty of teams I could talk about here. But the last one I will mention is the opponent that Bayern Munich has this weekend in Eintracht Frankfurt. So under Oliver Glasner, I think that Frankfurt is definitely headed on the right track. Winning the Europa League last season was a huge confidence boost. I think that Frankfurt 
you know, has made some very savvy moves, one of which bringing back Mario Goetze, who I'm so glad to see him back in the Bundesliga. I, I think he just elevates Eintracht Frankfurt, takes them to a little bit more of a level where they should be. I think when you, you combine him with a player like Philip Kostic, if he sticks around, this could be a very, very dangerous attack. I think it's going to be much more creative than what we saw last season. And while Frankfurt doesn't have that A to Z depth that a club like Bayern Munich has, I think that they absolutely have enough talent on the roster to be a challenger. Again, I'm not expecting them over the course of the league season to be able to knock off Bayern, Dortmund, Leipzig, and and capture the league title. I don't think that's quite possible yet. But I do think that on a given week, they can beat anybody in the league. And I think that they're going to have the type of talent that's going to put a scare in some people. So I'm going to say that Bayern Munich's going to win the league, and I say that very confidently. But I do think Dortmund, Leverkusen, Leipzig, and Frankfurt are definitely going to be some of the squads to watch. I look for a a resurgent year from Wolfsburg under Niko Kovac. I think Kovac has a good ability to go to a especially a club like Wolfsburg and to be able to influence them and push them in the positive, in a positive direction. Uh, I think he was able to do that with AS Monaco. I think he was doomed from the start at Bayern Munich. So I, I kind of discount that whole experiment <laughs> there. And it's not just because he couldn't bring in the players that he wanted. I don't think he really ever was in sync with Brazo. I think that the players turned on him very quickly as we saw with hashtag Miami Knights. So I think Kovac is going to come back he's going to dress sharply as we all know yacht club hashtag yacht club kovach i think he's he's bringing that look back and i i think that he's going to help wolfsburg get back headed in the right direction after what was a, a miserable season last year uh the next thing that i learned this week is that Leroy sane's position at bayern munich is is pretty tenuous as of now now we did see sane start on the bench and come through to get a, a key goal in the, in the DFL Super Cup. So that was great to see if you're a Sané fan. But the fact that Julian Nagelsmann is, is at, at least at this point, favoring Jamal Musiala, it says a lot about Sané and where he is at in the mind of the team. Um, you know, the club, you know, they have Thomas Muller. They have Musiala currently starting over Sané. They have Serge Gnabry, who is, uh, was re-signed this summer and has, has looked, Pretty good so far. Sadio Mane was a, was a big acquisition. He's certainly not going to be on the bench. Kingsley Coman, I mean, World Cup, not the World Cup, but the Champions League hero from a couple of years back. He is currently ahead of Sane on the depth chart. There is so much talent there and so much depth that even if Julian Nagelsmann continues to experiment with this 4-2-2-2 alignment, Sané is likely going to be one of the players consistently on the outside looking in. And it's a lot to unpack if you went through the whole uh, Leroy Sané transfer saga from Man City. I mean, as we've talked about many times here, he was definitely considered to be the wing savior, the person that was going to bring Bayern Munich's wings back to the level of Arjen Robin and Franck Ribéry. And that did not, it has not happened on a consistent basis as of yet. And there are plenty of reasons for that. I think when he first joined, he was obviously working through that ACL injury. And, and the first season back, as we just talked about, it's always tough. It's You're never going to be 100% and you're never going to be fully right. But even last season, despite having picked up a newfound 
fervor for defending in his first year at Bayern Munich, he was not great offensively throughout the entire course of the season. Now, he was awesome in the first half and, and really showed what his talent is all about. When we saw him drop off the face of the earth in the second half of the season, those red flags about his attitude and his con- overall consistency, things we had heard about at Man City, they started to creep right back into the conversation. And the fact that Byron went out and they got Sadio Mane and they re-upped Serge Gnabry and they had previously re-upped Kingsley Coman, it tells you that when you take those three players and you have Jamal Musiala and you have Thomas Muller, I mean, Sané is going to have to work every single day to prove himself uh, at Bayern Munich, he's going to have to prove to Julian Nagelsmann that he deserves a start, that he's going to be a consistent player, and that he's going to be the superstar that they signed him to be. At this stage, it does not appear that Sané is going to get back to that level. And part of it's going to be, you know, will he have the opportunity to do that on a consistent basis? Is his number going to be called and put into the lineup as much as he needs to do to work through that funk? Now, when we talk about a funk, we acknowledge that the second half of last season was not good. We acknowledge that his performances on the international scene have been very uneven as well. It has been encouraging, particularly last week, that he looked like he cared. He looked like he was engaged and he was able to take advantage of a situation. And when you are an attacker, you need to take advantage of situations that you should win. He was in that exact situation at the end of the game last week. It was one that he should have won. And he did. So that's a good thing. So if you're looking for Leroy Sané to start to increase that ROI that that he's been giving Bayern Munich, you might start to get it if he can build from that performance. But like I said, the problem may be, can he outperform on a daily basis players like Sadio Mane, Serge Gnabry, Thomas Muller, Kingsley Coman, Jamal Musiala? I don't know. And that's going to be a big subplot to the Bayern Munich season because if Sané is not playing consistently, is he going to be happy? And if he's not happy, is he going to be the type of player that handles it professionally or is he going to turn into a diva? History would tell you that he has had some diva-like tendencies. But I will say until he goes that route, until he pouts and causes an issue, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. What I'm extremely interested in, though, is seeing how long Jamal Musiala can maintain that position in the starting 11. If you're me, you've been pushing for this the entire the entirety of the last two seasons. Even when Sané was rolling, I felt like Musiala should have been in the lineup ahead of him because I just think Musiala is that dynamic, that good, and brings that much to the table. So if Musiala can, can be consistent and keep up this type of this level of performance, if Gnabry can stay at an acceptable level and be consistent himself, and if Coman continues to be the type of player that's so electric you can't take him off the pitch, where does where does it leave Leroy Sané? Chances are on the bench. So, you know, nobody wants to root for injuries, that is for sure. But it looks like that the only way Sané might be able to consistently get onto the field is if Bayern Munich does go through a stretch of injuries, which of course... No one wants to happen. <laughs> so uh, how Leroy San- Sané handles this, how Julian Nagelsmann handles this, it's all going to be very fascinating to watch. Uh, and that'll bring me into the third thing that I learned this week, and it's that Julian Nagelsmann has implemented a point system for training that will help him determine the starting 11s moving forward this season. We had heard that Nagelsmann might do this. And I'm sure that when they go back and they analyze training, whether they're they're scoring 
players real time or they're reviewing film or doing a combination of both. Uh, it, it's really going to be interesting to see how much this really does play into his squad selection. And, and part of me wondered, and this is like the really cynical side of me where sometimes I, I see something and this has become really prominent in baseball, for example, where a manager is literally letting a spreadsheet or the numbers tell him who he should pitch or who he should pinch hit or what they should do in a certain situation or what even what pitch they should throw in a situation. It's taken the whole gut feeling aspect out of the game. And it's really, if you're a baseball fan, has has killed a lot of the sport. It's made the games longer. It, it's They've had to actually change the rules because of pitching changes were so frequent when it was extending the games incredibly long. I'm a little worried that some of that might seep into football now because if Julian Nagelsmann is solely basing his starting 11 decisions on what the point system tells him, who performed the best this week, um, I'm a little worried about that one. And two, that it could become a crutch for him as well in that if he's not consistently picking the best starting 11s that he can lean on the point system and say, listen, this is, these are the, the best 11 that trained last week. It's not my fault that they went out and underperformed in the match. So I think it's, there's a twofold level of concern for me with this. And, you know, I appreciate that they're trying to score the players, players and they're trying to make this into something that helps motivate players. But if this becomes something where, say, let's use Leroy Sané as an example, if he's scoring just below the starters in practice enough that he can't break into the lineup, you know, this could be something that becomes a distraction. Because I can assure you, if Sané or another player uh, become part of this group that can't break into the starting 11 because they don't score enough on the, the training scale, especially when some of these decisions, when when and how points get awarded, are arbitrary and and subjective, I can see that becoming a big issue. So while I don't think it's any major concern at this point, I am a little worried about how this plays out and how much they do utilize this. If this becomes a thing where it's almost robotic and they follow the system and only the system works, I'm going to be very disappointed because one of the things that I think in any sport uh, that matters more than anything is the feel that a coach has, not just for his players and his club or anyone associated with the team, it's how the team is playing, the momentum they have built up, what they're doing well that you can see with your own eyes, what they're struggling with. If you start to base every decision on numbers and analytics and spreadsheets, it takes away that human element from the game that can kill so many good things. And while Nagelsmann has is, has really been an innovative coach from the time he has set foot in the Bundesliga, I do worry that there's a little bit of the analytics nerd in him that just treasures the numbers so much that it's going to affect his decision-making to the point where he doesn't trust his gut. And I think to be that level of a manager, to be at a club like Bayern Munich, to to manage any top-level football club or any team in any sport, you've got to trust your gut feeling. And I think that's one of the things that Hansi Flick really excelled at. While I'm sure Hansi Flick did look at numbers and did look at analytics, I felt like Hansi Flick trusted his gut, trusted his observations and what he saw from the team more than anything. And you could look no further than how Byron played in its Champions League run in, in the sextuple winning season. The moves that he made using players like Ivan Perisic or even using Leon Goretzka and pushing him in 
to the starting 11 consistently and then rolling with Joshua Kimmich and moving him to right back when he felt like he needed to. Those are gut instinct type decisions. And Flick was excellent at that. And well, yes, I know once again, here's Chuck. He's yearning for the days of Flick, but I'll get my Flick fill at the World Cup. But anyway, I do worry that Nagelsmann falls into the trap of trusting the numbers too much. And and I do I do want him to trust his gut and make those decisions based on how he feels and what he sees and not what the numbers tell him. So that's a concern of mine. The fourth thing I learned this week is that Conrad Limer is probably not moving over from RB Leipzig to Bayern Munich. And that's okay. Listen, we saw the story this week come out that the Bayern Munich the players in the Bayern Munich locker room are, are not exactly pushing to get another midfielder in. Uh, they feel like they're strong enough per the report. And while I don't know how much of an influence that might have over Brazo or Nagelsmann as they push for the transfer, I do think that Limer uh, one is willing to make the move. That's not an issue, but two, I, I think RB Leipzig's, price tag on him, which is currently at about 30 million euro is just too high for a position that Bayern Munich doesn't necessarily need right now. So when Leon Goretzka comes back and he's healthy, he and Joshua Kimmich are the unquestioned starters in the central midfield. But right now, what you do have is Marcel Sabitzer looking like the Marcel Sabitzer that played at RB Leipzig and not the the Marcel Sabitzer that showed up last season and, and, and looked lost. And that's a great thing for Bayern Munich because Sabitzer is that talented and he is that good that if he is focused and he is bought into what is going on at Bayern Munich and he's got that comfort level that allows him to play freely at the club now, it would be excellent because it would be like having a third starting level player. On the outside of even those top three central midfielders, you have Ryan Gravenberg, who is by all accounts, impressing everyone. Now, I, I didn't necessarily have high hopes for Gravenberg this season. Uh, I thought this would be a big learning experience for him, that he would play probably not a whole lot, but that he would get better by being at practice and might be in a position where he would set himself up to be maybe a little bit more of a contributor next season or even go out on a loan to get more first-team playing time. But it looks like Gravenberg is really establishing himself as as a potential uh, option for this season's midfield. While he's not expected to usurp the job of Joshua Kimmich or Leon Goretzka, or maybe even seep into that third midfield role uh, over Marcel Sabitzer, it still shows that there's depth there. And there probably isn't a need to go out and spend $30 million on Limer if you have four options like that. Moreover, you have Jamal Musiala, who last season out of nowhere, the club decided they were going to try and turn into a central midfielder. And while that didn't stick, you at least saw that he could play in that role. So you don't necessarily even need someone as as a fifth option to get it there. And, and in the end, you still have Paul Vonner, who we have seen so many mixed reports about. Is he going to be an eight or is he going to be a 10 or is he going to play out on the wing? Nobody knows at this point. What we do know is that at one point, the club was viewing him as an eight. So if you needed someone to fill in that position, Vonner could conceivably do that. Although the latest reports have Vonner either backing up Alfonso Davies as a left back or a left wing back, or maybe even potentially getting time in at left wing. Who knows? What we do know is the kid has a ton of talent and that if you're down to needing your sixth option in the midfield, you probably have way bigger concerns about your season than who's going to play that 
sixth role out of your central midfield group. So I think that it's okay that Bayern is not going to get Limer. What I will be very interested to see is if that mutual interest between Limer and Bayern Munich continues through this season. And if Bayern will indeed bring him in on a free transfer next summer. I guess there also is the scenario that if things really go downhill, if Goretzka or Kimmich end up with a season-ending injury, if Sabitzer falls into the trap that he fell into last season, if Gravenberg starts to play more and starts to get exposed for his lack of experience, I suppose you always could, in the winter transfer window, make an offer to Lime, to Arbe Leipzig for Limer and bring him in at that point. That's all possible. I mean, why not? So you, you keep all of your options on the table, but as of now, I would not be spending $30 million on Limer, even though I like him as a player. I've been very hesitant on this from the beginning because I just don't think there's a need right now unless there is a surprise sale of Marcel Sabitzer or something like that. So that leads me to my fifth and final point uh, for this week. And what I learned is, it, is that it might be a little hard for Matthias Delect and Nusar Mizrahi to break into that Bayern Munich starting lineup. Mm-hmm. Now, for Delict, it's it's a little surprising to me because I think when it comes down to pure talent, he is absolutely the most talented player among those Bayern Munich center backs. It's a little concerning in that that he is not considered being game shape yet, and to me, it does worry me. And I'm not. This has nothing to do with um you know the 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 fat jokes or anything like that it worries me that the the training environment at Juventus was so bad for so long that it has set the kid back <laughs> an enormous amount and he's he's playing makeup and and how long does it take to get back up to the fitness level that Bayern Munich requires after coming from Juventus where apparently the being fit and being prepared and all of that was was not exactly pushed on him and listen, maybe none of that's true. Maybe that's just, those are just the stories going around. But it does appear as though there's at least something to it in that we're now in in, in Delict's second really competitive match for Bayern Munich, and he's probably going to be on the bench. So that will be one of the squad selections that I'm very eager to check out. When it comes to Mesrali, I don't know if it's as much about fitness with him as it is about fit. Um Playing for Ajax, obviously, Masrali had a lot of offensive responsibilities playing that position. How he was defensively, I can't comment on too much because, frankly, I don't watch a lot of Ajax. But what I can say is if Masrali is 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 not to this point taking the position from Benjamin Pavar as a right back or a right wing back, there's got to be something going on that something that the coaching staff does not like, or something that they're just not seeing from Ms. Rally that would allow him to step into the starting lineup. Now for Pavar, he has been pretty good throughout the preseason and he was having a great game last week until he uh, had a very ill-timed and, and silly challenge that resulted in a PK for RB Leipzig. Now, before that, I think we saw a lot of people saying, well, you know, Pavar has been really good, but once that happened, we got all the Pavar hate right back in the comment section uh, <laughs> where it just, you know, it was bound to happen once he made a mistake. And unfortunately, he made one in a very bad spot and one that he really didn't need to make. Uh, but whatever the case is with that, 
I want to know what's going on with Mizrahi. What's he lacking in training that's not allowing him to be able to take that position from Pavar? Now, we know that Nagelsmann wants to keep Pavar at Bayern Munich, that he does value him and he values his versatility. And the fact that, you know, Pavar wants to play center back could play a key role in what Nagelsmann does with his formations because if he, you know, Nagelsmann does shift to a back three, having Pavar is an absolute necessity on this squad. If he continues to run a back four base system, you know, if it comes down to a matter of Masrali not being able to beat out Pavar, that's going to surprise a lot of fans and probably make some fans very unhappy because there is obviously a, a big anti-Benjamin Pavar uh, contingent out there. And while I'm not, uh, I am not a member of that. I do see that. And I do hear that. Uh, and I do expect that there will be fans that are going to be calling for Masrali no matter what. And the, the fact of the matter is, None of us know what's going on at training on a consistent basis. No one knows if Mizrahi is struggling. No one knows if Pavar has just been that much better. No one knows if there's a, a point to what Nagelsmann is doing in terms of setting the team up for success later in the season by pushing a player like Mizrahi along a little bit slower and potentially maybe just giving Pavar some extra field time. Maybe this is all part of a, a, a situation where Bayern Munich's trying to show what Pavar can do because maybe they have an inkling to sell him during this window. Who knows? But the bottom line is right now, um, the Ligt is not expected to start. Mizrahi is not expected to start. Now, both could. But uh, it would be interesting to, to get the real take on what's going on with both players and just how far behind in the fitness the Ligt is and and just how far behind in performance Mizrahi is. Uh, I think that those are... Two things to keep an eye on. And, and you know, by the time you listen to this, you might actually even know the starting lineup. So let's keep that in mind and let's see what happens with those two players. I, for one, am very anxious to see DeLict integrate, fully integrated into the Bayern Munich starting 11. I want to see what he can do on a daily basis and what kind of stability he can provide and how he can positively impact players like Alfonso Davies or Luca Hernandez or Benjamin Pavar or whoever with his vocal leadership on the back line. So that will wrap up the footy segment this week. I'll quickly just dive into Better Call Saul because that is the only thing that I'm watching this week. And I've seen some mixed reviews on the internet about <clears throat> the approach that the show has taken in terms of focusing a little more on Gene Takovic and what's going on in Omaha, Nebraska, rather than what was going on in the world of Saul Goodman um, after everything that went down. Uh, <laughs> went down a couple of weeks back. Uh, I think it's the right move for the show. I think, you know, the natural break there is that after everything went down and things settled between the cartel and Gustavo Fring, that now we know where this leads for Saul Goodman, eventually integrating himself into the Breaking Bad timeline with Jesse Pinkman and Walter White and how that all ties together. So that's that part of the story is done for me. And, and, I thought it was executed near perfectly. I am very curious to see what happens with Gene Takovic here. How this part of the show ends, because this just shifted from in, in, in kind of the, the whole weird way. It shifted from being a show focused on the prequel to Breaking Bad to being part of the world of sequels to Breaking Bad. So now we're seeing Saul Goodman or actually we should say Jimmy McGill as Saul Goodman, as Gene Takovic, and, and seeing how that all ties together in terms of what happens with him 
Hopefully we see what happens with Kim Wexler. Of course, we know ultimately what happens with Jesse Pinkman through the one-off movie El Camino, which I would recommend you checking out if you're a Breaking Bad fan and you somehow miss that. But I like where it's going. I'm very eagerly awaiting the series finale. And I'm very, very interested to see what happens and what the plans are in terms of perhaps any additional sequels to what has just been a marvelous universe of shows. So that's where things are for me. Uh, as you guys learned earlier this week, Jake's no longer with BFW. That's more of a professional thing. Um, now that he's working with the Daily Mail, he will be fully dedicated to them. And there's obviously conflicting uh, responsibilities when you know, you're know connected to two media companies. So that was for the betterment of Jake and, and being able to focus on his Daily Mail career. And of course, we will be following him there. And no doubt we will have him on the podcast uh, moving forward at some point to talk all things Bayern Munich. And that'll wrap it up for this one. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adams 71 hashtag English Tom Adams. Uh, you can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Samarin, Schnitzel, Swaz, Teddy, Fergus. I'm probably missing someone at this point because there have been so many people on the uh, podcast. Um, but I will at some point make a list to make sure I list everyone. Uh, I don't know that maybe Schnitzel. Did I not mention him? Okay. Yeah. So as I said, the the, the staff for the podcast is growing. So it, uh, I'm going to have to do a little bit better record keeping in terms of this, this outro. So, uh, uh, you know, check all of them out on our site. Check out the other podcasts we've released this week. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the match. Hopefully, Byron gets a dub and sets everyone up to be very happy leading into Saturday. Otherwise, there could be some disgruntled voices uh, Friday night into Saturday morning uh, if Byron Munich cannot pull out the three points against Eintracht Frankfurt. So have a beer on me, and we will see you next time.